also I read something that I loved that really resonated with me. So um, Deepak Chopra, and I think I read it or I heard him, I can't remember which, we were talking about, he was talking about dying and afterlife and what happens. And someone said to him, what happens to the soul after we pass on? And he said, if you can think of a room, he said, air is all around us. But when you erect a room and create the four walls, there's air within those four walls, but there's also air around it. If those four walls are taken down, the air just mingles with the air outside. So he says it's same for the soul and the body. When the body goes, the soul just goes back to this universe of souls that it's come from. So the way he framed it resonated with me. And that's like how I want to believe mom is out there. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Grey in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. On today's episode, I am chatting with Farah. She is an avid baker, a yogi, with a 30-year career in the banking industry across continents. She can also add now to her list of things she does. She is also now an author. She is the author of Meher and Me, which is a tale of unconventional life and courage developed through a combination of nature, nurture, and skills acquired along the way. And it's a memoir, a mother-daughter relationship memoir. So welcome, Farah. Thank you. Thanks, Kendra. Thank you for having me on the show and look forward to our conversation. Right and, sort of and, topical for upcoming Mother's Day. So I think it's yes. very um, timely, shall we say. Timely. When I when I post this, will be past, because we're talking right oh, okay. before Mother's Day. And so when I post this, will be just a few days after Mother's Day. And so, yes, it's right in the, the season. And Mother's Day was actually celebrated uh, in, in some Latin American countries. It's a date. It's not the actual like right. weekend. It's May 10th. Right. It's like, right. so. Uh, Whatever day of the week it is. Yeah. yeah, and okay. so it also happened. Well, welcome to the podcast. I usually start the conversation with asking people where they're calling from. We, I know we had to kind of have that <laughs> conversation before scheduling, yes, the episode. Yeah. So please share where you live and where um, you actually are from. Okay, thank you. Um, so I am actually speaking from Dubai, UAE. It is past seven in the evening, so we're opposite ends of the time zone. And originally, I was born in London. I'm a Parsi by faith, a Zoroastrian, um, which is people of Persian origin. And I grew up in a small town in northern India called Lucknow. And I went to a Catholic convent, grew up in a Muslim city surrounded by Hindu mythology. So citizen of the world, I'd like to think. Uh, you know what? That's actually in my, uh, I ride Peloton, the bike. Right. And okay. in the where you're from, I wrote world citizen. That's my, <laughs> so I'm like you. you. I'm a world citizen. And aren't we all? Mm -hmm. I hope that that's 
that ends up being more think, the, yeah. the way we are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Where, where some of our experiences and our locations and our geography. So I think definitely we're all there. And the experiences, as some of our experiences, that's, that actually says a lot because it's also those interactions that you have with people mm-hmm. that are from other places that also compound mm-hmm. your own you are. knowledge and understanding of the world. You're also a mother. You have two children. I do. I I have a daughter and a son. They're at university, sort of growing their lives, taking off on their own journeys. Um, And it's such a pleasure and a privilege to have, you know, brought two people into the world to hopefully have two well-adjusted humans um, and see them doing their own thing and become independent. It's it's really um, very fulfilling. So Farah, this book is written of your memories of you and your mother. Your mother was Meher, and you share a lot of beauty about her. You mentioned about her elegance and her beauty, and as I'm seeing you here as we're recording, I can (laughs) see that beauty and elegance in you you. as well. So you wrote this a, a few years after she died. She died in 2006, a very sudden and surprising circumstances. So if you want to share just briefly about that, of how it was your mom uh, died, and then we will kind of navigate from there. Sure. Um, So mom lived in Lucknow, which is where I grew up. Um, And she had gone out late one evening to collect my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, from her home. And um, as my sister-in-law exited the building there were four young gentlemen hanging around in the parking lot and in India we call it eaves teasing so it's sort of making lewd comments calling out catcalling you know just um, sort of if you like harassing young ladies anyway so these four gentlemen made some lewd comments at my sister-in-law mum was in the car so she didn't actually hear what was said but she saw my sister-in-law's reaction so my mother's was quite a feisty lady, a lawyer by profession, chain smoker. So off she stepped from the car with her cigarette in hand and sort of called out to the young gentleman and said, what was that about? And you all have sisters and mothers, and this is not the way to behave. Now, it was late at night. These gentlemen had had a bit to drink and I think were possibly using other substances, not confirmed, but... um, They were also petty criminals, which again, wasn't known at the time. So of the four, three, she said to them, you need to apologize to the young lady. Don't do this again. Sort of gave them a little bit of a talking to. Three of the gentlemen apologized. One didn't. So when mom insisted that they apologized, um, they sort of turned around and ran away. And mom called out to our driver to sort of pursue them. And we were where she was, the location was close to the police commissioner's house, and she said, get the police to help chase these young gentlemen. Anyway, the one guy who hadn't apologized stopped, turned around in his tracks, came back, stood at mum, took out a gun from his pocket. It was a sawn-off barrel. It's called a katta in India. Um, Took the gun out, said, sorry, auntie, aimed it at her, and pulled the trigger. Um, and the bullet entered from the side, so it pierced her vertebra, so side of her spine, um, pierced her vertebra, and she fell back from the impact, so landed on her left side, broke her arm, and her leg um, was paralyzed immediately. 
and that's sort of where um, she was taken to hospital and sort of deteriorated from there on. Was it about 25 days after her, the gunshot? She was taken to hospital, that, correct. That then so she, initially then we she... took her past, yeah, we, initially we took her to the hospital in Lucknow, um, but it wasn't equipped to be able to deal with her injuries. So she was airlifted to Delhi, which is the capital of India, to a hospital there. Um, and she was in hospital for 25 days and, you know, she seemed to be recovering almost against all the odds and against what logic would say. Um, and then there was just a tremendous amount of internal bleeding. They were unable to identify the source of the bleeding. And then she slipped away sort of 25 days later. Twenty-five, And you were not living in the same city. So you're in another, you, at that moment, where were you when you received this phone call of her being shot? So the incident occurred late in the evening, end of February, and I was back in Dubai. I lived in, I've been living in Dubai for the last 22 years. So I was in Dubai with my children. Um, it was late at night. It was middle of our night. It must have been two, three in the morning when the phone rang. And normally I would keep my phone on silent at night so as not to be disturbed. But my husband was traveling at the time and I just left the ringer on just in case he needed to reach me or if there was anything, which is the only reason the call even came through because if it had been on silent, I might not have received that call. And my stepfather told me about the incident. So the next day I had to find a flight and the flights were not as frequent. Um, the only flight was late in the evening and I was waiting for my husband to come back from his business trip, which was out of town. So I could leave my children who were quite young at the time with him and um, head head over to Delhi, which is where I flew into. You know, when I was reading your book, there were so many different components of it. One of the things that I noticed, aside from you, of course, navigating this relationship that you had with your mom and your grief, was, of course, also this reconciliation of yourself and your own journey in your life. And there were so many things that occurred in your life that would be considered also moments of grief. Your parents' divorce what would be one of those aspects as well. Even your mom remarrying, all these kind of things do stir up a lot of different emotions and, and, and grief. And and this common thread that's throughout it as well is the belonging part, like the who are you and where did you fit? So tell us a little more about this, about you growing up. And I'll go back again to your mom. And I didn't want to like so do it so abruptly right now as I'm changing kind of the subject <laughs> yeah. because we'll go back into that. But more about you and the your... Journey. Your upbringing and your journey. Sure. Please. Thank you. So I think we started off with saying we're citizens of the world, but that sort of title is really hard one. It, it doesn't come easy. Um, and if you think many, many, many years ago, um, I've got gray hair, not that the listeners will be able to see, but, you know, we've got age on our side. But when I started out, London, I was in London till I was four. So I was born in London, lived in London till I was four, and that was all I knew. And as a child, everything is normal because that's all you know. And then I was taken to Lucknow um, to see my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. My mom took me over the winter or sent me up, sort of up ahead of her over the winter, supposedly for a month. And then we ended up through a series of circumstances where my mother decided to stay on in India because my father was not 
shall we say, behaving the way one should. And so I am uprooted from what I have known for my three, four years um, to a place that isn't familiar. The language isn't the same. Um, everything about it, the smells, the culture, the customs, the ambience, the environment, the weather, everything is different. So initially when you're in your mother's home or your maternal grandmother's home, it's okay, you're cocooned. But then once mom made the decision that we were going to stay there, I am now starting to go to school in a foreign country with a language that I don't speak. So Hindi was not my native language at the time. And even though I could hear it around me as I spent a couple of months there, I still didn't speak it. And then I looked a bit different. I'm in India, there's this term called wheatish to describe, you know, like a complexion. I'm possibly slightly on the paler side of that. Um, I had big curly hair and I spoke different because I spoke with a British accent in a small town in India. So there were so many reasons for me to stand out and be differentiated. Um, that belonging or feeling that sameness that a child craves wasn't there. So it was really hard. And that emotional parenting that is perhaps more commonplace today was not the style, you know, back then, or at least not the style that I experienced. So it was challenging it was difficult it wasn't easy and there were and as you mentioned the divorce was something that would trigger me i would see children with their fathers or sitting in their father's lap and i remember bursting into tears thinking why is my father not there um, and people hadn't seen my father and there would be all sorts of questions and all sorts of inappropriate comments that young children will make right uh, without meaning to be super mean but there can be mean comments made and my stepfather was a whole different journey and he and my mother dated for many, many years before they eventually got married. But that was also not an easy relationship to navigate because he was more um, traditional in his thinking, whereas I grew up in my grandmother's home, which she was very liberal. My mother was very liberal, very um, with a different thought process to what girls should be able to say or see or do. Um, and then... When I was 18, I went back to London and that sort of became the journey of discovering myself and who I was and finding my voice and learning to be comfortable in my own skin. It's okay to say, you know, I'm a Parsi or I'm British or I'm Indian, but I don't have to be any one thing. I can be, as you said, an amalgamation of all of that. And I am far today and I have had experiences that enhance if you like my world point of view so that's where I'm at today I love that word enhance it is so true it does enhance our lives when we are more in touch with a bigger picture than our own so in this dynamic of the dynamics of the relationships and with your stepfather after your mom died there was a big decision that had to be made as well which was even of her burial, which by the way, you mentioned your mom was an, an avid smoker. And can you share that little quote of what your mom would say she wanted to be buried with? <laughs> <laughs> so my mom had started smoking when she was 15. Means in those days, the height of rebellion was smoking and drinking secretly. And in India, everything's done behind closed doors, right? Never in front of the parents. So mom had started sneaking cigarettes when she was 15. 
Um, and then as she'd gone through life, she had adopted smoking dunghills. So she always smoked dunghills. And she always said, just make sure that packets of dunghills buried in with me. Um, so She had a good Parsi. sense of humor. She had a good Amazing sense, sense of humor. <laughs> Amazing sense of humor. Um, even in the trickiest of times, she would deadpan something and you're like, mom, really, you know. Um, but um, yeah, Parsis, we're typically buried. We also have what they call towers of silence, but there's only one in India and Bombay. And that's um, a whole different ritual and a process. But traditionally, we're buried. We sort of back to the earth to give back. So the body decomposes, it nurtures the earth. And that's where we came from is the um, sort of practice behind it. Whereas my stepfather was Hindu, and in Hindus, you don't bury, you cremate. Um, Parsis wouldn't cremate because we believe fire is pure, and we believe fire purifies. Fire sort of rises from a base to a pinnacle. Um, it's not something we would defile by putting a dead body in it. So there was a huge conflict of burial versus cremation. In our small hometown of Lucknow, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother and maternal grandfather are buried in the, in the cemetery there. And that's where mom had said she wanted to be buried. But because my mother had married out of the community, Parsis were very, um, you're sort of in the community and we're a very small niche community. If you marry out, it's sort of excommunicated. There are new um, sort of divergent streams and pockets of the religion that are coming up where if, say, the father marries out, it's okay. There's a very um, new team in California, I believe, where the mother marries out, it's also considered okay. But given it's a patriarchal society, typically that would not be the norm. So we have this debate raging about, do we bury her? And the Parsi community was, she's married out. So she's not eligible, if you like, to be buried in our cemetery. Um, but my mother's very, very old dear school friend was the president of the Parsi community at the time and helped us navigate the decision-making to allow her to be buried next to her mother. So my mother got buried along with her cigarettes and along with a couple of packs of cards because she used to play cards with her buddies. So uh, yeah, the, the cigarettes and the cards had to be snuck in under the, under the sheets and they went with us. So it was a couple of cards, and what, what, there was some incident in the book. I think you mentioned was it was like it your? I know you call it. uncle. You say you say uncle love uncle is your stepdad. Correct. So the word Correct. uncle and auntie are an endearing for somebody that's really close to the family. Is that correct? Or what is the so India, what is the the terminology? So in India, if you are related by blood, there are specific terms. So a mother's brother is mama, a mother's sister is masi, a father's brother, if younger, is chacha, father's brother, if older, is tau. So there's specific terms for each blood relationship or by marriage relationship. Anyone who's older than you, but not directly related to you, out of respect, you would say auntie or uncle. You wouldn't address them by name and you wouldn't go Mrs. or, you know, Mr. Um, so auntie and uncle is typically out of respect. And love uncle was older, not directly related. So that's how I started addressing him when I first met him. Um, and that's the terminology that stayed. That so, um, yeah, tell the yeah. story about the card, uh, something regarding he was looking for another deck of cards. So something like that. mom played a particular style of Rami with 23 cards and you needed three, three decks of cards to play that particular game. So when we buried her, we buried her with three decks of cards. But um, a couple of nights after 
uh, she had passed, actually two weeks after she had passed and we were sitting and friends had come over um, and there was a conversation about how many packs of cards had she been buried with and someone I think mistakenly mentioned two and he got quite upset because it was very specific. There had to be three packs of cards for mom to be able to play that game even up in heaven. So there was a whole um, incident around that and I had to come out and reconfirm that no, we did three packs of cards so, just so she could, yeah, so it was she very could have specific. a game up there. Yeah. She could have her full Brahmi game if, if she yeah. wanted. I want to now talk about your grief journey and the tools you use. We were talking before we started recording that you started writing in your diary in the process of your mom's, you know, passing and days after. And even though you didn't release this book much later, writing then was one of your tools. Can you talk more about all these different tools and also the aspect of spirituality as well of your beliefs and in combination with therapy and all basically sure. just give it all the whole thing yoga, <laughs> the whole all thing. your whole picture <laughs> okay um so i think mom's passing was the first up close and personal passing that i had experienced and given the nature of how she passed there was no precedent there was nothing for me to take from anyone else to understand what had happened and typically in india when someone passes the first thing is is the soul released is the soul allowed to transition away from the mortal planes is it at peace right and because of the nature of her passing there was a lot of um just thought and talk about perhaps the soul was not at peace so when I first came back to the Bay, obviously there was the writing and the journey, just trying to make sense of my own ideas and emotions. And then I started going to tarot card readers or psychics just to try and understand was mom at peace? Where was her soul at? Was she okay? Any messages? I think it was more any messages for me. I just I just wanted the reassurance that she was still close to me, which was so counterintuitive to letting the soul go. Um, and then I started going for therapy. I tried holotropic breathwork because, you know, when I started to articulate um, what I had experienced or even write about it, some of the therapists said, you're not getting to the emotion. And I'm like, I thought I'm getting to the emotion, but they were saying not. So I said, okay, nonverbal might be the way to go. So we went for holotropic. Um, and again, it didn't really, I didn't have the release that I was seeing other people have. So I was like, okay, something is not quite shifting um and then yoga i've done yoga throughout my young adult life but never a meaningful practice and now i developed a meaningful practice it was literally the minute you step onto the mat you can center yourself take your emotions on a journey but it's also the ability to just allow the thoughts to quieten for a minute to feel what your body's telling you or feel what your heartbeat's saying to you um, and just allow the emotion to flow. And then when you lie down in Savasana, if the tears flow, it's okay, um, because it's a safe space. So that was, that, was a, that was a whole journey. And then I started baking very actively. So I picked up baking um, in London. My daughter was born in a November, cold, gray, nothing to do, you know. So um, there's a newspaper called the Daily Mail. And on a Sunday, they would give a magazine. And in the magazine were a couple of recipes. And I still remember very clearly. There were uh, Nigella Lawson, two recipes for biscuits. 
and I cried. Oh, I love Nigella. I, yeah, I okay. loved her show. I loved her show. Oh, yeah. Okay, so love go ahead. So, so I tried those two recipes, got really good feedback, and then just went from there. So just started baking avidly. And then when mom passed, mom had cooked. Food is a huge thing for us, Parsi. You, know, you wake up in the morning, what's for breakfast? At lunch, what's for dinner? And dinner, you're planning the next day's menu. So it was also a way to be creative, to bring some joy back in, because when that smell of that cake or whatever I was baking comes in or people eat it or people smile or it's sort of nourishing the soul as well at a certain level. And people would say to me, your cakes taste nice because you've got stories to tell. And I'm like, yep, all my stories are going into my cakes. So that is you- such a... Your your say your cake smells nice because you have stories to tell. They would like the cake tastes so nice because you have stories to tell. Oh. Because your hands are giving the energy of your stories into whatever you're creating or giving life to, in a way, which I thought was a lovely compliment. Such um, a pretty so, yeah. yeah. So baking was a huge. I'd say very therapeutic as well. It would be. It would give me purpose in a way, like something to focus on, something to create, something to give joy, to get a little bit of, um, you know, light in a what was kind of a gray period of life. It was, I would be driving to work in the morning and the sunshine would glint on the windscreen and I'd be like, okay, hi, mom, you're there. Um, it was just finding ways to know she was around me um, whilst paying homage to her and her legacy and the food and things we've created and recipes. And it was a whole process. What kind of recipes do you make now or bake or cook that you feel you're paying homage to your mom or that remind you of your mother? So I have a notebook that is torn. The spine's gone. The pages are collapsing. The paper's sort of breaking apart. And there are recipes in my mom's handwriting. So um, Lucknow, where we come from, northern India, has got very rich cuisine, very um, rich Mughlai cuisine. So my mother would give me recipes for biryani or chicken cooked with yogurt and saffron or um, Parsis. We make dhansak, so she would give me, which is a mixture of lentils and vegetables and meat cooked together with a particular spice. Um, when it came to Desserts, that was not mom's forte as much as it was my maternal grandmother's forte. So, you know, whether it was a Victoria sponge or brownies or lemon cake or even learning how to make lemon curd with my grandmother for lemon tarts, those are really ripe and rich memories. Um, but mom and me in the kitchen was was a laugh a minute because she would come and say, oh, I've made this dish. And I'm like, mom, just stirring the pot does not mean you cooked. You know, I chopped, <laughs> I prepped, I washed up, <laughs> you stirred the pot. So we used to banter and joke about it, but I have such happy memories of being in the kitchen with her. It, this is when you were an adult, correct? Because it, when correct. you were a child in, in, she was in, not in most present. Indian, because, well, and it's also culturally you would have someone that would help you in the kitchen and to clean Correct. and all that kind Correct. of things. Right. Yeah. So these were more things as you as an adult that you developed with yeah. your mom. While I was in London and mom would visit. Yeah. And she would visit. You mentioned mm-hmm. regarding as a child, not really having been given the tools to navigate different situations. So 
in it, for example, when you moved and you were exper- when you moved from London to Luck, how do I pronounce again? Luck, Luck- Lucknow. 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 Yeah. Were your were your feelings acknowledged at all of having gone through this big change? Were you ever asked how you felt at all? I don't think that was the period of this emotional parenting that we do today, right? Children were meant to be seen and not heard was pretty much the standard tagline. And I think because it happened so organically, it wasn't a planned move. It wasn't we're going to leave London and move to Lucknow. It was we're going to Lucknow to visit your grandmother. And then there was a phone call from my paternal grandmother to let my mom know that my father had left his job and was, you know. Seeing um, somebody else as well. Correct. Seen out with someone else. So my mom made the decision to stay on in Lucknow. I don't know if at that point she thought she's never going back. Perhaps that had not, that thought had not germinated at that point, but she knew she didn't want to go back immediately. And also what then subsequently we got to know was mom was expecting my brother. When she had arrived, she was already expecting my brother. So now she was heavily pregnant. She had a husband who wasn't exactly behaving, Mm -hmm. yeah, present or behaving the way one should. So she made the choice to stay on in Lucknow. So I don't think it was ever a conscious, let's sit far down and tell her what's going on kind of moment. It was just, I guess, making do or making decisions based on the information as it was coming to her. Um, I, I don't recall ever being asked how I felt or the feelings. I don't even know if I articulated the feelings, to be fair. You know, like maybe I didn't have the emotional vocabulary to say, I feel displaced or I feel abandoned or I feel like I don't fit in. But my maternal grandmother was very, very nurturing and very kind and a really, really strong, stabilizing force for me when all of this was in transition. So that would be how I would view that point in time. Now, then now as an adult, then you acquired all these different then tools that you, when you were 18, I guess, and moving to London and really finding and coming into your own that you came to be in that development of who you are now, you have your religious background of what you were brought up to become. How do the Parsi beliefs fit into your grief journey as well? Do are they part of your journey of the belief of afterlife and so forth? Please, if you can share. So, although I'm I'm a Parsi by faith, um, my mother had an altar of Hindu gods. So my mom had given me her altar some years before she passed because an altar is believed to be evoked. So she gave me this altar. So I say my Parsi prayers, and I, I really hope no one is offended by this. I say my Parsi prayers to this altar with the Hindu god um, sort of images. So we're slightly confused, but we believe there's something there, right? Um, and the Parsis, yes, you know, the driving force or the driving ethos of the religion, my grandmother would always say to me is, good thoughts, good words, and good deeds. If you can bring your thoughts and control your thoughts, and as a child, you don't appreciate the strength of that statement, but as an adult, everything, we, as we hear today, you know, the power of now or manifesting your reality or visualization, that is all thought, and that is all that then drives your reality. So 
I have really worked hard to, if a negative thought comes up, it's to be able to say, actually, I'm pressing the pause button. You're going to stay in a different room for now, and I'm not going to give light to this negative sort of thought pattern and reframe what I'm thinking. Um, so spirituality-wise, I'm I'm not ritualistic, but every morning I get up, I say my prayers, and I say my Parsi prayers to this altar my mother's given me. And it's my way of recognizing there's something more than us. There, Yes, we believe in afterlife, but I also, I read something that I loved that really resonated with me. So um, Deepak Chopra, and I think I read it or I heard him, I can't remember which, we were talking about, he was talking about dying and afterlife and what happens. And someone said to him, what happens to the soul after we pass on? And he said, if you can think of a room, he said, air is all around us. But when you erect a room and create the four walls, there's air within those four walls, but there's also air around it. If those four walls are taken down, the air just mingles with the air outside. So he says it's same for the soul and the body. When the body goes, the soul just goes back to this universe of souls that it's come from. So the way he framed it resonated with me. And that's like how I want to believe mom is out there. So if on my birthday, a truck drives up around next to me and it's bright orange, you know, the same color as the Assetics wear in India and it's got her name across the side of it. It says Al Meher Construction. I'm like, okay, mom, you're there. I know you're there. And that's what I want to believe that she's there all around and sort of present in the ether somewhere with me. Um, so that's kind yeah. of what I take from it. I, I have never heard that description and I love it and I can associate with it so much. It's kind of like a bird in a cage, right? It's that, yeah. that cage, you know, the moment that cage is no longer there, then it's just yeah. breaks free. free and yeah. it's, yeah. So I love the description of the air in a room. Mm. You mentioned when you saw your mom pass and it, and you knew she wasn't there anymore. I was also present when my mom passed away, so I can relate to that. Can you sh share how it was you felt in that moment of seeing her? Um, it was hard. It was hard, and I can see it was hard for you. Um, for anyone who's not been through the process or not been through this, and I, I don't wish this on anyone at all, um, but we were in the hospital and you know, for those that will read the book, and I hope you take something from it for yourself. Mom had been in the intensive care unit for 25 days and then the bleeding and then she passed. And when she passed, um, obviously the doctors and the nurses and all the activity around her. And then they wanted to wash the body because obviously there'd been copious amounts of blood lost. And everyone else sort of left and we're in the waiting area and I was just sat on a chair and they said you know we need to wash her and I was like can I just sit and can I just see this body of this person who used to be my mother be washed and because you can't you can't absorb the fact that she's no longer there because the body's still there maybe she's sleeping she's going to get up she's going to talk to me that that sort of final, that it's never going to occur again, 
is not something you can comprehend in the moment um, at all. So it's sort of you're saying goodbye to her. Um, you're stealing your heart. You're sort of logically trying to intellectualize that this is the last time I'm going to see her whilst your emotions are not anywhere near ready to accept that thought process. So you're wrestling with that, wanting to sort of break down and bring her back somehow, but you can't, right? That That's not how it works. So it's just a sense of allowing yourself to let go or telling yourself to let go because you're not ready to let go. Your heart's not ready to let go, but your head is saying, you've got to let go. This has happened and you've got to find a way to get through this somehow. Um, but yeah, harrowing would be, is what I see on your face as well. Mm. For you now as a mother and your children were really young at that time, when you're going through different aspects of motherhood and and you don't have any sisters, correct? You have brothers, right? So, uh, yeah. oh, sorry, you do? I have a younger half-sister. Oh, okay, okay. That yeah. That's from your, okay, from the, okay. Yeah. So when you're going through different time periods of your life in which you feel you want a motherly advice, in the especially as you're raising your children, how do you navigate those situations and who do you reach out to or do you connect to your memories and to your mom? Um, it's a really interesting one. So I think I've got a really great group of girlfriends um, who have been with me through uh, various life circumstances, including the loss of my mother. Um, and if I am going through a particularly tricky situation, I will call one of them, um, depending on what the situation is and who I know might have experienced it with their own kids or in their own life. Um, but there's only very few that you will trust to be vulnerable with as well, right? And know that the advice will be something that will work for you and they understand where you're coming from and your perspective. And much as we're citizens of the world, there's something really um, to be said about friends who have grown up with you either in the same city or the same school or shared life experiences is you don't have to explain yourself. They've got the backstory. So they completely can be with you in that moment where you're at and tell you, okay, either you're projecting or this, have you thought of this? Or this is what I've done. This is what my mom did. Um, and help you through it. And my mom had a bunch of, I mean, she, everyone's her best friend. If you go back to, I was in, back yeah. in my hometown last month and everyone's like, oh, she was my best friend. And I was, and she would I was change at a wedding. The, I, yes. And also just the aspect of what is it? She would change the season when the she'd season. enter into a room. Yeah. <gasps> that gives me yeah. And, and so she has a couple of really dear friends who I'm very close to as well. And I'll call them. If I'm missing mom terribly, I'll call one of them just to hear their voice. And it's that maternal sort of just care. Are you okay? What's happening? And just hearing their voice is soothing, um, regardless of whether I then need advice or not. So that's 
and then obviously internal and books and people and you try and do the best you can as we all are like you even mentioned like yeah. life does not come with a manual right yeah somewhere like okay what do i do in this situation yeah. you kind of just have to chapter three you know, section five no it doesn't uh, yeah. uh, uh, nope just just yeah. go along for the ride so as we're closing off let's share with people how they can now read this memoir where can they read re find this book how can they get a hold of you get in touch with you. you please share thank you um so the book is available on amazon and online retailers um so it's called meher and me as kendra mentioned um there's a website farapress.com where i'd love to hear feedback stories uh, people can connect with me we're on instagram as well uh, fara.press um, so we're posting about the book and excerpts from the book um, and I really look forward to hearing feedback and thoughts. And I hope the story touches people and gives them something for their own life journeys in whichever aspect, um, because life comes at all of us, you know, whether, we're, whether we want to or whether we're ready or not, it, it certainly does. Thank you so much for the conversation and allowing me to come on your show. And I really hope your listeners enjoy our conversation. And I'd, I'd love to hear uh, their thoughts. It, it was beautiful to read your book because it was very genuine. You weren't, you weren't just saying all the beautiful things about your mom, which a lot of times we tend to do when someone dies. You were also sharing her flaws, her weaknesses, her humanity, which we all yeah. are. And so I appreciate you also coming on the podcast and sharing your own humanity and your own journey as well with us is there anything i did not ask you as we close off that you would still like to share with the listeners no but I, i'll leave your listeners with um a taste of my mother's sense of humor so my mother obviously married twice right my father and my stepfather and she would wake up in the morning and she, my mother was a lawyer and there was a journalist who had come to interview her for some particular article they were writing on lawyers and women in lucknow and she said something, asked my mom, you know, a question. I can't remember the question, but my mom was, I wake up every morning and I slap myself twice, once for the first marriage and once for the second marriage. <laughs> and my stepfather was sitting in the room and going, what the hell are you on about kind of thing in our language, um, not as politely. But uh, yeah, that was my mother. She was a force to be reckoned with. She was larger than life. And it's an honor to write about her and to honor her legacy. Um, and I think it's about standing up for people, regardless of the personal consequences as well, and doing the right thing. So I, I really hope that message can resonate with people. And that is how she died, doing the right thing yeah. and standing up for others. That is how she died. And that's there's honor in that as, as well, in that, that aspect of you should feel proud to be her daughter, to be Meher's daughter. So thank, thank you, you once again, Farah, for sharing thank your you, journey and your mom's story with us. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me 
if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.